Hello, family. Welcome, welcome back to the Pillars Podcast. I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman. Thank you so much for being here for another really fun episode with a great and interesting athlete and human being. This week, I welcome my friend Drew Holman to the program for a really deep and interesting conversation about his life and early career in the great sport of trail and ultra running. Drew really launched himself into the international ultra conversation with a very impressive third place finish at this year's Western States 100, his first ever 100 mile race, and he finished on the podium at Western States. Drew had done a lot of great things in the sport before that, but his Western States performance, his 100 mile debut, firmly established him as one of the true rising stars in the sport. Drew and I met many years ago when we were both living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And as you'll hear in our conversation, those of us who had a front row seat to his development were not at all surprised by his incredible performance at Western States. And I really do think that he has the potential to have a huge impact on the sport at the highest level over the next 10 years or so, but Drew is not crazy active on social media. He doesn't seek the spotlight, which is one of the things that I really like about him, but it leaves it up to people like me to toot his horn for him. So it was great to have him on the show. We talk all about his upbringing, his development as part of the San Francisco running company community where he and I met. We talk about his approach to Western States and what he learned from his incredible 100 mile debut. And we also talk a lot about the aftermath. And as you'll hear, uh, the recovery has not been easy for Drew. He really laid it all out on the line. And you'll hear from him as to what the consequences of that have been for him. As always, if you enjoy the show, we would really appreciate your support. There's a couple different ways that you can do that. You can join our training app for $10 a month and get access to all our great training plans and training content. You'll get early access to all the content that we make. Uh, You get access to the community, the weekly Zoom calls that we do, and a lot more. You can find the app in the Android and iOS app stores and uh, join our community. I feel like my personal friend network has doubled in size since we started this thing. And uh, yeah, we'd love to have you as part of our tribe. So do go check it out if you want or need support on your journey. You can also sign up to support us on Patreon if that's better for you. You can find links to both of those things in the show notes here. And a big thanks to everyone who is on board now. We really do appreciate it. Okay, on with the show. Please welcome Mr. Drew Holman. Drew Holman, my bro. What's up, man? How are you? Not, not a lot. Doing well, Dylan. Thanks for thanks for having me on. And hey, congratulations on your absolutely epic race a couple of weeks ago <laughs> in the mountains of Colorado. Um was fun to fun to follow around along and was so excited to see see the competition and the outcomes. 
Thank you, bro. And obviously I was very inspired by your performance a couple of weeks earlier on the Western States trail. And uh, we'll get to this later, but we even talked about you coming out to pace me a little bit, but uh, due to your, your acute recovery from Western States, you made the intelligent call to not join me for those miles on the hard route course, but I appreciate the the kind words and yeah, yeah, man, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I feel like, you know, you're one of the most unsung heroes in the sport right now. I, I feel like you really do represent the future of the sport, especially for North American professional trail runners. Uh, if I were starting a team personally right now and could identify five people to sort of build a team around, you would certainly be one of those people. And uh, we've known each other for a while and I've had a front row seat to your development. And uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to share your story with the community and you're not crazy active on social media. So it's up to people like me to, to sort of, uh, you know, pull things out of you. So here we are, but yeah. Well, thank you for, thank you for having me, Dylan. And 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 yeah, I'm I'm very very bad at the social media game. So <laughs> one of these days, I'll, I need to yeah no, invest dude. more in it. But anyway, it's is quality over quantity, right? So yeah. anyway, Drew, well let's uh, let's start with uh, some background. Obviously, you as we, we just talked about, you're not crazy active on social media, but like, yeah. and you haven't been in the sport a crazy long time. And I think for a lot of people they probably heard your name for the first time at Western States this year. That's not to say that was the first thing you've ever done. You had some awesome performances in your career leading up to that point, but for sure that was your first big world-class performance on an international stage uh, with a lot of eyeballs looking at you and you delivered spectacularly. Not to say it was perfect and we'll get to that, but, uh, as I'd like to do, you know, I like to sort of tell the full story of the individuals who come on the show, get a 360 view of who they are as human beings and athletes. So let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, tell the people where you grew up, what your childhood was like, what your relationship with sport was and anything else you think is relevant. Awesome. Um, you've given, you've given me chills talking about Western States and, um, <laughs> It was a it was a very magical day, so I'm excited to to get there and, and yeah. talk a bit about it with you. But um, but yeah, I grew up in um, a little town on the north shore of Lake Superior, um, town of 1,200 people. Uh, it's called Grand Marais. It's a beautiful place. Uh, it's sandwiched between Lake Superior and the Boundary Waters, um, and it's just an incredible community of artists and loggers and fishermen and um it's a big tourist destination for people that live in minneapolis and st paul so it's a really vibrant community even though it's so small um and it was a pretty idyllic idyllic childhood um i mean i grew up playing a ton of sports coming from a small small high school um you got roped into just about everything if you if you had a heartbeat and so played like baseball and hockey were my, my big sports. Um, I grew up uh, a block away from the outdoor ice rink. And so would, you know, starting at age like three or four, my mom would like send me up to the rink and I would just head up there by myself, skates over the shoulder. And, and, um, I spent, you know, thousands of hours on this outdoor ice rink and, um, and yeah, hockey was, you know, like very much was very much life. Um, as it is for many, many young 
young people in in Minnesota. Northern um, Minnesota, yeah. You're on the exactly, Canadian you don't border really, there. You don't have a choice. It's either Nordic <laughs> skiing or hockey. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there's there's a bunch uh, of frozen lakes everywhere in the winter to skate on. So yeah, exactly, exactly. And so grew up playing hockey. Um, was very much a, a team sport person. Um, started running cross country a little bit. Uh, full transparency, like absolutely hated it, like with a passion. <laughs> um, but but really enjoyed like being able to to run and then come to hockey season with just the the lungs that you know wouldn't stop. And so um, ran a bit through high school and. And yeah, I think, I think baseball and hockey were really the the foundation for my, my, my sports background. And then from there, I don't know if we can move on, but went to Carleton college and played ultimate Frisbee. <laughs> dude, that's um, where I wanted to, level. that's where I wanted to go <laughs> next, dude. Ultimate um, Frisbee, the sport of champions, man. Yeah. I, I love that part of your story. So yeah, talk, talk a little bit about your experience playing ultimate Frisbee at Carleton college. Yeah. So, so Carlton is a, is a very, uh, weird place in, in, in a very special place in the world of ultimate Frisbee in that, um, <laughs> it's another tiny place, 2000 students. Um, but Carlton has had years where they've won division one and division three national championships. Um, and so if you're, if you're an athlete that shows up at Carlton, there's a good chance that you're going to be recruited um, by one of the Frisbee teams and, um, and, and it's done at a very high level. And it's funny. Cause I was, I would always joke that, you know, ultimate Frisbee isn't even a sport, you know, it's a, it's a hobby. Um, and then you get to, you get to Carlton and, you know, there's, you know, twice a day is in track practices and you're flying <laughs> around the country to play Frisbee. And, um, there's these kids that come from Portland, Oregon, and have been playing since they were five and are just like, it's just pure magic what they can do with a Frisbee. Um, but I could hardly throw a Frisbee, but worked super hard and, you know, had endurance and played defense and just chased people down and threw my body. And yeah, so it was a, it was a fun experience and ended up winning a division three national championship on one of the teams. So that was fun too. <laughs> That's so cool. And, uh, having grown up in Boulder, Colorado myself, yeah. The ultimate <laughs> yeah, Frisbee is, uh, the a sport of uh, granola towns for sure. And uh, I actually, my dad was a big ultimate Frisbee player as I was growing up and he took us to the NCAA national championship when it was held in Boulder, Colorado. And I remember yeah. being captivated by it. And I've actually, it's, it's not like I follow the sport super closely, but I have managed to watch a bit of the collegiate sort of yeah. national tournament over the years and it, I mean, it, it's, you call it a, a hobby rather than a sport, but it's a super athletic, cool yeah. field sport. And the people who are really good at it are great athletes for sure. And the hand-eye coordination and the endurance and the sort of exciting back and forth nature of it. It's a fun sport to watch. Like, I, I feel like the sport could thrive in this, uh, in the future, you know, as parents stop allowing their children to play tackle football for head injury purposes. I think like lacrosse and, and, uh, ultimate Frisbee are poised for uh huge growth in, in the next, uh, 25 years maybe, but that it's really, it's really funny to sort of see you grow up a hockey player and, uh, then graduate to uh, ultimate Frisbee. And now here you are uh, an awesome champion ultra runner. And I guess uh, 
you know, before we kind of go any deeper into your story, maybe talk a little bit about when you found trail running. I think, uh, it was sort of a, a time that was special for both of us. Uh, I'm yeah. thinking about when we both lived in San Francisco, is that sort of the time where it came into your life and talk a little bit about, uh, those early days when you found it, what spoke to you about it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I would definitely agree that like my love for running and, and my discovery of trail running like happened in the San Francisco Marin, um, Bay area. And, and, you know, I, I moved out to, to San Francisco after, after college and, um, had been in, you know, had been a part of just all these incredible teams and communities. And I think, I think that really is the foundation for my love of sport is the communities that come with them. And so, um, I started running a lot more when I got to the Bay, um, really fell in love with it at some point cross paths with Patty O'Leary. Um, uh, for, for those who don't know Irish running champion, um, and just all around incredible human, you know, brilliant scientist. Um, and so he and I started running together and he just kept saying, Hey, you need to, you need to go check out, uh, San Francisco running company. You need to come over some Saturday. And I kept being like, no, 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 it's not my thing. It's not my thing. I'm not <laughs> looking for, for obligations. Um, and then if, finally he roped me into coming and, and I started joining on Saturday mornings from, from the store head up Tennessee Valley. And, and that's where I met you, Dylan. That's where I met, you know, Fernando and Alex Varner and Nick Handel and, you know, Jorge and just like this incredible group, um, of, you know, of, of humans and individuals who are doing just awesome things. And, and it, and like, I just fell in love with it. Um, yeah. and, and to be able to be running in one of the most beautiful places in the world, um, with this, this group that was both like incredibly, um, welcoming, but then also like there was a competitive spirit to San Francisco running company that is like so fun. Yeah. Um, but in a loving like, way, right. In a loving oh, way. Yeah. yeah. Oh, fully in like a loving. And I mean, no one, I, I didn't know anyone and the way that you all brought me in and, um, you know, that's where I, I like, realized that there was a, there was a potential that I could compete at a high level too. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, I, and, I mean, it was, it was very clear from the, the earliest days that Drew Holman had some talent and then you started yeah. time trialing up Mount Tam, putting up numbers mm -hmm. that, you know, most people uh, could never dream of running up that mountain. Mm -hmm. And in the group runs, obviously at the front of the train, pushing the pace and we were all getting better. And, and certainly, yeah. you know, you without a lot of experience, but with a lot of talent, it does take a community to sort of teach you the ropes and yeah. give you the motivation yeah. and, uh, yeah, sort of energize you to set goals and recognize the talent that you have in yourself. And I, this is something I would plan to sort of save for later, but we might as well talk about it now, but as we sort of work our way towards the Western States conversation, yeah. you and I had a, had a little text exchange prior to the race where I told you that I was going to be blowing up your spot on the live stream, yeah. because of course I anchored the live coverage all day with Corinne Malcolm. 
And mm-hmm. in our text exchange, you know, I, I said, you know, I can't wait to sort of tell everybody about Drew Holman. And mm-hmm. you responded to me and I pulled this out of our text exchange here. So I'm going to read it. He said, yeah, just as long as you give ample credit to SFRC and the Marin community that brought me into this wonderful sport, Western States is the celebration of you all bringing me under your wings. And I just thought, dude, this kid gets it, man. Like, you know, he's, he's got everything that it takes. And, you know, when I tell him that I'm going to blow up his spot on the live stream in front of thousands of people, he responds, you know, make sure you give credit to the people who brought me here. So it's yeah. a, it's a really cool thing. Are you finding, you know, we should mention that now you're living in Boulder. I live in Portland. So mm-hmm. we've both sort of graduated out of the SFRC university, but you know, forever yeah. alumni of uh, that period in SFRC history. Are you finding a, a similar community there in Boulder and are you finding similar value in it? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I'll ever be able to find the community that I found at SFRC. I think there's something about the the time that I found that community um, as like a, a fairly young impressionable individual and who was who was who was looking for community and was for looking trying to trying to discover you know who I was going to be uh, next in life and so I think it's going to be hard to ever ever replace that um, but Boulder's Boulder is a pretty magical place when it comes to endurance sports um, I think uh, you know the caricatures exist. Um, and, uh, with, with some of that caricature, you know, there's, there's, you know, unhealthy behaviors and habits that, that arise in Boulder, but at the same time, um, there's a bunch of wonderful people and it is such a, just an awesome place to live in terms of access. Um, I mean, you have, you know, green and Sinitas and all these incredible trails and, and peaks right behind Boulder and um, winter. Also, here's the kicker. Winter is like not a thing. Like, <laughs> like trails melt out after like two days. Right. Um, yeah. And, um, and so, more, yeah, it's I'm, more I'm of a, more of a thing. Community. More of a thing in Boulder than it is in Marin. That's for sure. Yeah. That's true. That's true. But yeah, the, true. the Boulder winter um, is not, not too harsh. Not like, not like Northern Minnesota. That's for sure. Yeah. (laughs) But starting to find, find my community there, um, uh, you know, Rocky mountain runners, uh, is, is an incredible, incredible community. Um, and, and there's just a lot of, a lot of, of dedicated runners. I've been running with one of your teammates, Seth, um, Seth Ruling just Seth moved bunch. to the area. Yeah. Yep, Seth Ruling just moved there. So he and I have been sharing a bunch of miles. Um, yeah. And then you just like inevitably run across, you know, just such humbling experience of seeing, you know, world-class marathoners out on the roads and yeah. triathletes and Scott Jurek going up Bear Mountain. And you're just yeah. like, you know, it's, there's a lot of like, oh, wow, look at yeah. this, this community's. Yeah, uh, pretty wild, it's a great, so. great, great town. Yeah, as I mentioned, that's where, where yeah. I grew up, and I was never an endurance athlete when I lived there. But it's funny yeah. to see that in my history and where I am now. And yeah, maybe it's a it's a DNA thing when you grow up in that environment. You know, you're eventually, or maybe you're just predisposed to uh, ultimately finding a little bit of potential in the world of mountain sport, Absolutely. but. It's great to see you guys settled there. Uh, 
So, you know, just to and, and you were, you were just running against Ryan Smith too. So, right. Exactly. Um, and I, shout out to Rocky and what Mountain he Runners. And, he and, what he and what and he and Silke have built with Rocky Mountain, Rock, Rocky Mountain Runners is, is very special too. Um, yeah. And that's a similar environment. And I've been uh, excited to tap into that. And I think, you know, those are, those are the communities that will, will help, you know, breed and, and, support that next generation that you speak of, which I think uh-huh. is like really what's important in this sport is like continuing to, to give back to, you know, whoever comes up next, you know, 100%. like that, yeah. that, you know, you see steeplechaser um, who is ready to like absolutely, you know, destroy any record that has existed. And, and she's currently running in circles, but she like, you know, maybe is thinking about running up a mountain. So, yeah. um, that's what it's all about. It's it's so true. And to make sure they understand, okay, this is a precious sacred thing and you know, it's yeah. bigger than just performance. So yeah. take take care of it and uh and yeah. honor that spirit when you come into the sport. Yeah. It's it's great. And yeah, shout out to Ryan Smith and Silke, his wife, who run the Rocky Mountain Runners group out of Boulder, Colorado. Ryan Smith and I shared many miles at Hard Rock. He's a great runner, much like you, flies under the radar, uh, but obviously uh, really, really solid athlete. I need to have him on the program too, so we'll get around to that eventually. So, you know, sort of before we kind of move on, Drew, in order to get an even better 360 view of who you are as a person, I think it's always interesting to hear about what people do you know, for their real jobs, you know, obviously your uh, trail running is almost never a full-time job for even some of the best athletes in the world. Uh, and as you're sort of ascending in your career, I mean, one of the things that I want to do with the rest of my career in, in terms of our conversation of passing the torch is sort of helping people in the next generation like you, who I recognize as being some of the most talented and runners with the most potential who are going to be moving to this next generation, hopefully have uh, not only the skills and knowledge and spirit of the sport, but have proper opportunities in the sport, but talk a little bit about what you do professionally. Yeah. Um, So I work for a data tech company out of San Francisco. Um, I'm a chief of staff, which is uh, a fancy, a fancy way of saying I'm the, uh, the utility player or the, um, you know, liberal arts, uh, individual <laughs> on the team. Um, <laughs> the person who doesn't think in ones and zeros. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like yeah. I don't, I don't write code. Um, but I, I do basically everything else. Um, so I, after graduating from Carleton knew that I wanted to end up, uh, you know, in a community closer to the mountains, closer to the ocean, And so just started applying. I was a, you know, biology major who had worked a couple of years in molecular biology lab. Um, But I knew I wanted to end up in a community that excited me and in a place that, that, you know, could fuel some of my extracurricular interests. And and one of those was obviously wanting to get more into running, Um, but got a job in San Francisco in, in, in tech and in sales, which is something that I, you know, like had totally balked at and didn't even know existed. Um, so I moved <laughs> to San Francisco, started working in tech and worked in digital health for many years. Um, and then just this last year, uh, shifted over to this company called Transform, um, which is actually founded by 
a good friend of ours, Nick Handel, um, who came from Airbnb and, um, the team is, is really committed to trying to make data more accessible. And so, um, I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a Jack of all trades hat and, <laughs> um, you know, working, working a ton of hours, uh, but it's a lot of fun. So, yeah. Well, good for you, man. And, yeah, uh, and, and maybe, maybe someday running can be the full-time gig, but yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to fully, to fully I survive. I think it's overrated, man. I mean, if Francois Dane runs a vineyard and can still yeah. be the best, one of the best of all time, I think there's something to be said for that balance. And yeah, shout out to Nick. I don't know Nick uh, super well. He sort of came into the community a little bit after I had left, after Harmony and I had moved away. Uh, but I've heard that you guys are onto something and you guys are going to change the world. So it's it's awesome to see that you know, the, the two of you had come together through running and now you're working on something really cool and really special. And yeah, I just yeah. like to, yeah, I'd like the listeners to get a, get a glimpse into the day to day, you know, understand that it's not just, you wake up at nine o'clock in the morning, run for three hours, come home, take a nap, you know, go for another run in the afternoon and, you know, go to yeah. the smoothie bar in between. So yeah, well, thanks for, thanks for painting the picture. And I think, you know, we should yeah. spend the bulk of our time here talking about Western States. Again, this was uh, an incredible performance from you. You finished third in your first hundred miler on one of the hardest days in Western States history. And before we get to the race, obviously everybody knows that it's really hard to get into the race. You qualified, uh, by getting a golden ticket at the Bandera 100K way back in January of 2020. This is before the 2020 version of Western States was canceled because of the coronavirus. Just before that, you had finished a uh, really solid, impressive fourth place at the TNF 50 in Marin County. And so, you know, I, I guess just talking about your progression in the sport and looking at that race at Bandera where you won the race in front of some name brand solid athletes, um, when you went there, was the express purpose of that trip to earn the golden ticket? Was there any reluctance when you did win the race to accept that golden ticket? And, uh, yeah. How, what did it feel like knowing that, uh, you'd earned your spot at Western States? Yeah. Um, great question. I mean, I think we got to take kind of a step, step back, um, where in that year, um, the North phase, the North phase 50 miler was, was the a race. Um, that was what I had built my like whole year, um, off of. And so had had, um, a couple of like great races leading up to TNF, um, ran TNF in what was just an absolutely stacked field that went out so fast and Too so fast. hard, like suicidally fast. Um, <laughs> I think I dropped like a five fifteen at one point, and I was like a mile behind the leaders. <laughs> yeah, one and of the races in, race, in my I was in the race, in race that race. that year too. I mean, you came steamrolling past me like thirty five miles into the race, and it was one of you know one of the only races in my career where I just looked back. I'm like, what the hell was I doing? That was completely idiotic. I was so reckless, and got you know you and. Uh, and also Darren Thomas, who finished second in the race, ran really, really strong, intelligent races. Anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, no, that's great. And honestly, Darren, I'm glad you mentioned Darren's name. He's another uh, one of, I would say, the next generation um, that's super underrated, but 
is so incredibly talented and just has a knack for performing um, when he shows up to race. Um, but yeah, so, you know, my, my race plan going into that race was just stick with, just stick with Devo. He, he runs smart. <laughs> he'll keep it in check. He'll eat people up in the second half. And then next thing I know, he's like off the front, like pushing the pace. And I'm like, okay, there goes my race plan. Um, but, but anywho, uh, well then, you, had, yeah, had like lead, I said, a, you, you just absolutely kicked my ass in the second half of the race and, you know, beat me by like probably 20 or 30 minutes. So yeah, yeah. yeah don't, don't stick with the Debo. Yeah. That's the, the thing. You know, I, I like to, I'm actually glad you brought that up because oftentimes I like to beat the table about the fact that sometimes inexperience can be a gift, you know, and this might yeah. be illustrative of your Western States, your first hundred miler yeah. finishing third place. And sometimes even the the seasoned veterans like me who've been around the sport forever, who know, you know, to not go out too fast. That's the <laughs> recipe for disaster can still do it. It's just like, yeah, anyway, but yeah. So, so then kind of fast forwarding from there, you I mean, you ran a perfect or a textbook race at TNF, you know, obviously, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure there's some things you could have done better, but you know, to, you ran sort of like a Tyler green style race where you were yeah. back in the field early in the day and then stormed through the mm -hmm. entire field to finish fourth place in one of the most competitive races of the year. And one of the most competitive races every year, and then mm -hmm. followed that up with a win at Bandera. So talk about that. Did you go there thinking, I want this ticket for Western States, or was it just sort of like the next progression after the 50 mile to go to the hundred K? Yeah. Um, finished, finished the 50 mile TNF and must've been the next week. I went on a run with my coach, David Roche. Um, and David is in, in, you know, just like so brilliant, such a good coach. And he, when we were running together, he goes, Hey, what do you, what do you think about Bandera? And, and David is the person who for years I've gone, David, I really think I should run like TNF 50 mile this year. And he goes, ah, how about the 50 K? And then I go, Hey, really psyched about running CCC. And he goes, ah, how about OCC? Um, which I think <laughs> just speaks to his focus on making sure that we're all running in 30 years and, you know, being patient with the sport and knowing that, you know, there there's building blocks that can go into this and we don't need to rush anything. Even if, even if you've had signs suggesting that you could be talented, um, and after TNF, he goes, why don't you run Bandera? And I'm going, well, that's, that's not like David. Um, and he, and I go, well, David, what, what happens if I, if it goes well? And he goes, well, you, you run Western States. Um, <laughs> and yes. like, mic drop. Yeah. Like, all right, let's go. Let's do it. And so I went into that race with almost no stress. Yeah. Like I had just come off of TNF. I felt so, you know, incredibly satisfied with that, with that showing and like, what an incredible mindset to, to lead into a race that typically, I mean, you know, it's going to be competitive, you know, it's going to be fast from the start. Um, and the mind games can be, can be hard in a setting like that. And so mm -hmm. I got to Bandera and I had also just come off of TNF where, you know, I was probably in 10th at the, at Stinson beach, which is, you know, more or less the halfway point and was able to, you know, run myself into, into fourth. And I think if there had been another mile in that race, I might've taken third. Um, and so I had a lot of confidence knowing that 
even if at the the halfway point I was back in the race that I could I could run myself in. And so I think I came through the it's a it's a looped course and I think I came through the first loop similarly in like eighth or ninth. Um and then just started chipping away and and picking people off and I caught Cole or I caught uh Alex Nichols respected member of the peloton we'll get yeah. into that when we get to western states yes um but uh i caught him with <laughs> with i think 5k to go um and of course at that point i was thinking all i could think about was uh at ultra trail mount fuji debo talks about catching pal and just you know making sure that the perception was he was feeling super strong and i was like okay i just needed to to like absolutely hammer past alex and yeah. like make him think that i feel incredible which i did not um but i passed him and you know the type of ratio that alex is he goes okay well i guess i have to go catch cole and so the last three miles of that race were run like a track meet mm -hmm. uh, and the splits were you know, and it just absolutely crazy. And, and yeah, I ended up being able to to come out with a win and, um, yeah, was, was excited about the idea of running Western States, but also knew that, Hey, it was my first hundred K I'd never run hundred miles, not that much of a turnaround in the grand scheme of things. Um, and so I think I got, you know, a silver lining to COVID was that I had a whole nother year to build yeah. leading into, into Western States this year. What do you attribute your early success and consistency too. I mean, because like thinking back in your career, your first 50 miler, I think was Cayuga trails, which was the USATF mm -hmm. national championship. You won that race. Yeah. Your second 50 miler was TNF 50, you know, not the USATF 50 mile championship, but more competitive and a fourth yeah. place finish there was incredibly impressive. And then your first hundred K you win at Bandera, earn a golden ticket to Western States. And then at Western yeah. States, your first hundred miler, you finish third. I'm curious, like, what do you attribute that, that sort of like early super solid success yeah. and consistency to, and also having, you know, you're strategically, you seem to have figured things out pretty quickly. Do you yeah. have any, any, uh, anything that, in upon reflecting on your career to this point has contributed yeah. to that consistency. Um, interesting. Well, I, I most definitely do not feel like I have it figured out. I think that that is the, what I'm learning, uh, with ultra running is that every single race, it, it feels like you learn something new. And so, you know, with that as the caveat, um, I think I've been, and I've been trying to put some words to this, but, Growing up, I was on a lot of very, very bad sports teams. Um, <laughs> and in particular, I was on some really horrendous hockey teams. Um, and I had poured so much into that sport. Um, and there was so much of my, my self-worth and so much of who I was was wrapped up in being, being an athlete and being a hockey player um, that I think to to be, to feel rewarded and to feel satisfied with those experiences. I learned at an early age to not really look around and to focus on, you know, what I could control. And to be honest, I think that has just provided such an incredible foundation for ultra running. Um, and it allows me to, 
I mean, at both TNF, I mean, all, all of these races, TNF, Bandera, Western States to, to not get as wrapped up in what anyone else is doing, um, in a race, you know, early on, you know, near the end. And, and it just allows me to focus on how I feel in that moment and control what I can control. And I think, I think that that mindset and that, you know, foundation of sport has really, has really paid off, um, when I did make the transition to, to ultra running. It's such a good point. And it really does take discipline though, doesn't it? And I was talking to Tyler green about this also just last week we were running and we were talking about his Western States and we'll get to this, but he finished second, you finished third and you guys shared some miles together. Yeah. And early in the race, again, I was doing the live coverage. So going up the escarpment, the first climb on the Western States course, I had, you know, live camera footage in front of me of Tyler Green hiking up the hill well behind the men's leaders. In fact, even a little bit behind the women's leaders going up over the top. And I was saying to him, man, like that takes real discipline to totally detach yourself from what the other competitors are doing in the race early in the day, focusing only on yourself. I'm really glad you said that because it's a wonderful lesson of, yeah, how you can have early success and sustained consistent success in the sport. So let's talk about Western States. Let's go into it, man. So, um, you know, obviously you qualified January of 2020 race was canceled in, uh, in 2020. So you had to wait all the way till June of 21, to stand on the start line. Was that a, a blessing for you in any way? Was it frustrating for you when the, the race was canceled? Uh, anything that you want to share of from the COVID year that you think maybe set you up, gave you more experience uh, so that you could be, feel a little bit more prepared for the challenge of Western States this year? Yeah. Um, I think, I think for me, it was definitely a blessing. Um, you know, it, it allowed me to fully recover from Bandera with, with very little, you know, stress about having to ramp back up. Um, and it allowed me to, I mean, uh, you, you look at Molly Seidel's Strava from, from three Olympics and she's just like at 130 miles every single week, just, just consistency. And, and I was by no means at that mileage, Yeah, but I think that I was able to recover and then just get super consistent and like focus on the basics and, and just run, um, without any sort of urgency to it. And so I think that that was really, really good going in, in lead up to Western States. Um, I think that what was really hard, um, and like COVID was hard for everyone in in different ways from a running perspective, man, it felt like that was just on the horizon forever, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and and you've had that for like even another, what, two or three years with hard rock getting canceled so many times. And like, that's also a mental slog when you're Mm -hmm. like, okay, it's, it's December, but Western States is out there. And like, I would like to go skiing, but I should probably go run first and then, you know, maybe go slog up the mountain. Um, and so that was tough. And so that's been really nice now that Western States is over to just be like, okay, I can, I can like shut down running for a while. And so, so how was the buildup 
in the sort of last critical phase leading into Western States this year, as you mentioned, you're coached by David Roche. I don't think you put everything that you do up on Strava. So generally maybe give the people a glimpse into what you guys worked on, how you fit it around your real job and maybe any practical, tangible workouts or long runs or anything that you can provide that you think led to your success this year in the race. Yeah. So, so we really anchored the training, I would say off of like three, three key, uh, key points of stimulus. And that was, I ran run through time, uh, which is a trail marathon down in Salida, Colorado. Um, I then ran, went out to, to Oregon and ran till McBurn, uh, 50 miler, which is when I, uh, got to meet Tyler and talk about what an incredible human, um, And then I ran, spent a bunch of miles in that race running with Mario Mendoza. Um, and I mean, that is the thread of, of ultra running. What's so incredible about what we do is just, man, some, some, some top notch humans. Anywho, um, so Tom McBurn and then, and then Western States training camp. Um, so those were the three, the three main pillars to the, the training plan. And, um, and then, and then between that, um, I'm a, I'm a relatively low mileage guy. Um, and a lot of that is because I have a full-time job and, you know, I can't run much more than 70 miles without my body kind of breaking down and they're not me not being able to recover. Uh, and, and David and I have kind of learned that. And so, um, I do all my workouts before work. Um, and it's, you know, typically Wednesdays are a workout day. Um, and then it's back to back long runs on the weekends. Um, but, but yeah, I think those, those races were really what, what we anchored the training on. Um, and, and between that, it was less about any perfect workout. And I think that's David's kind of, you know, methodology anyway, is that, Hey, this doesn't need to be perfect. Like what we're, what we're building towards is consistency and, um, making sure that you're, you're happy and healthy. And if, and if Drew, we can put you on the start line, happy and healthy, like there's a good chance that you can perform. Um, and so that was the, the foundation for the model. I don't think there's anything special about what I did. Um, other than just, you know, showing up and, yeah. and showing up kind of day in and day out. It's brilliant. Yeah. I'm really glad you said that too. And I think obviously David cares a lot about all of his athletes and probably coaches them in different ways but it reminds me before western states i talked to claire gallagher too who's Mm -hmm. coached by david roche and she said also that she usually runs 70 80 miles a week Mm -hmm. and then you see athletes like jim walmsley throwing down 130 140 mile weeks and it just goes to show you that claire gallagher's won the race on that type of training you finished third place on that type of training i'm definitely more of a moderate mileage guy myself and have been for my entire career. And I think that's part of the reason why, you know, 12 years into this, I still feel as solid as I ever have. So a good lesson for, for those that are listening and for you early in your career, I think a hundred percent, this is going to lead to a long, healthy, successful career for you with, with that type of guidance. So awesome. So let's talk more about the race itself. Um, Obviously 
all of you guys were primed. I mean, Western States is the A race for everybody. Nobody shows up to that yeah. race thinking like, oh, you know, I'm just here to train. I've got UTMB later in the <laughs> summer. And, and all you guys also, I mean, many of you, you mentioned you did Tillamook Burn and the Run Through Time Trail Marathon. But for the most part, nobody had raced a, a yeah. top-notch championship level race like that in two years what was the dynamic like early in the men's race? Did it feel that people were pushing it hard? Was your focus on yourself as it has been in yeah. these races that we've talked about already? And when did it start to feel hot? And when did you start to feel the attrition? Yeah. Um, goodness. The, the like energy leading into Western States is, you know, just impossible to ignore. <laughs> and so you get to that start line and everyone is so amped up. Um, and you know, you, you've been reminded like every single day, multiple times a day that this is what it's going to be like. Um, and then the gun goes off and like, you know, it was controlled, but not that controlled. Like people were still running most of most of that that climb up to the escarpment and so you know i tried to keep it in check there got into the high country um fell in with a, a good group of guys and um i mean i think one of the, the big learnings for me is that it just it just feels so controlled um and you start to realize when you're coming into aid stations uh and that it might not be quite as controlled <laughs> and so um had a good, good pack. There's probably like eight of us running through the high country, um, coming out of dusty corners. I linked up with Alex Nichols and Max King, um, which was just an absolute dream, um, to be running with both of them. And, and I would so say this for the is next mile 38 for the listeners. Yeah. Yep. So, um, probably for the next 20 or 30 miles, um, I ran with the two of them. Um, and it was, it was incredible. I think, you know, we were, we were working together, you know, Alex Nichols waited for me coming out of an aid station at one point, you know, we'd, we'd run out and then the third person would catch up and that would kind of shift who, who was, um, kind of trading back and forth. And, and so that section felt just absolutely incredible. Um, we were probably in seventh, eighth. I don't really know where we were, but, um, felt very controlled. And I also, you know, have a ton of respect for how both of them raced. And so I felt pretty confident that they were good people for me with no hundred mile experience to just anchor to. And so I kind of use that as, you know, I'm just going to anchor to Alex and Max. Um, and then coming into the canyons, Alex really took off on the downhills. And I realized I was just not going to, if I try to keep up with him, my quads were going to be wrecked way too early. And so, that was when, you know, started to feel, feel, feel the quads started to feel that, Hey, we've been running downhill at a pretty good clip here. Um, also Alex at one point going through an aid station goes, Oh, we're at sub 15 hour pace. And I go, uh, Oh no, I've made a terrible oh, mistake. No. <laughs> yeah. That's like at, at hard rock at, uh, in your ray, which I think was mile 55 Topher who was pacing me. was like, yeah, you guys are way ahead of Killian's course record pace. I was like, Oh no, what did I do? I didn't want to do this. Um, so, I mean, but what, at what point did you 
feel that like, oh, this is going to be a, a hard day. Not, not like for you personally, but the, the yeah. conditions were incredibly hard. Like, were you seeing yeah. some of the attrition that was happening in the field? And at what point did you recognize yeah. like, oh, like this is hot, this is hard. And was there anything yeah. that you did that you think was intelligent based on the environmental circumstances? Yeah. Um, I think it really started for me in the canyons. Um, you know, started to, to see a few guys already, um, who had gone out hard and were clearly paying the price, um, early in the race. And, um, I think that for me, was like, okay, like this is wake up call. Let's, let's get diligent. I started cramping a bit in the canyons. And so that was when I was like, okay, I'm clearly not getting enough salts in, um, and that's where I, I pivoted a bit. I've never taken salt tabs. Um, and so, you know, broke my rule of don't try new things on race day. Cause I was like, there's no way I'm going to make it to the end of this race. If I don't start getting more salt in my system. My rule um, is always try something new on race day. <laughs> Cause I always well, do. My new thing yeah. on race day then was watermelon dunk just in pure salt. And that was incredible. Wow. Um, and then started taking some salt tabs and, and, I mean, it was, it's impossible to not feel the heat, uh, in those canyons and, you know, they just like hold the heat and it just resonates in every direction. Um, dude, it was a brutal, it was a brutal day, a brutal day. Like, I I think honestly, all of your guys' times are at least 45 to an hour faster on like a normal year. So, and for a kid from Northern Minnesota, (laughs) You're not, you're not made for that stuff, man. So was there anything that you felt like? I think I, I think I learned Debo that I didn't think it felt that hot. So there's some physiological, um, benefits that I've gone on that it didn't, I felt, it felt really hot coming through Cal street. Um, at that point I was running with Patty O'Leary and you know, it's the peak of the day and I was just roasting. Um, and that's when Tyler and I also linked up, um, But there was a lot of the race where I was like being diligent about ice because I knew that I had to be, but I wasn't fully like brain pounding. It's hot um, that I've experienced it at other times. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I said, I think a few times on the live stream too, is that until you get to Cal street on the Western States course, even though it's hot when you're going through the canyons, you're in the shade basically that whole time you're sort of under tree Mm -hmm. cover for the bulk of that middle section of the race. And of course the canyons, they're still hot, but yeah, once you get yeah. onto Cal street and you start getting in those longer, more exposed sections, um, mm-hmm. it, it does start to feel, feel hotter for the, for the lead men in okay. the race. So let, let's talk about, let's pick up there on Cal street. So at what point did you and Tyler sort of link up because you guys then kind of created a dynamic duo who, to, you know, ultimately run your way onto the podium, both of you, what was that dynamic? Like, were you guys working together and maybe talk a little bit more about sort of the attrition that you were sort of running through, because obviously there was a lot of athletes suffering in that section. Yeah. Um, so I think Tyler caught me with maybe five miles to go from, from the river. And so, um, he and I ran together to the river. Um, and, and that was just awesome. Like, um, really, really great experience, but was, was feeling hot. And I think 
Tyler looked so strong. Like he had cle- he clearly executed at Western States just so incredibly. When he came up on me, like he hardly looked like he was working. Um, and so he and I ran together until the river uh, kind of got disconnected at the river. Um, and then it was probably at this next stage where he and I ran together but it didn't feel really super collaborative um, was, was starting to feel a little bit more like, Oh, we have 20 miles to go and it's time to race. Um, Yeah. yeah, And it got pretty, pretty damn competitive. When I got to Cal street, I picked up our good friend, Fernando de San Diego state. And um, you mean when you got to green gate or when we got, we got, he had come down from green gate to the, to the river, to the river. river. So he picked him up at the, picked me up at the river. And we were like, cool, like, let's just run this entire climb. And this gets back to, I had at, at camp, at camp, I was on a run with Tim Tolfson and Topher and Topher goes, Drew, do not get in any pissing matches in this race. Like you will dig yourself such a deep hole. And of course I'm like, I'm just going to run this entire climb. And like, Tyler's <laughs> going to get just totally demoralized. And so I come into green gate being like, hell yes. Uh, and I turn around and Tyler's just like chipper, just chipper. Um, and at that point, I think those were, that was probably that section from green from the river to Hal's aid station at mile like 90 was probably where I made a few mistakes and I got too competitive. Yeah, dude, this um, is perfect. I'm so glad you you described it like this because as I mentioned, I ran with Tyler last week and we were talking about it and he said, you know, that he could tell that you weren't taking care of yourself and that he eventually was going to be able to pull away from you. Of course, I just want to say it's totally implied. Everybody should know this, but he's saying this in total respect for, for you as a person, as an athlete. And you know that, but I just want to say it. Um, and he said, but he, he was very confident in the fact that he was taking care of himself a lot better, that you had a little bit more of a, uh, rushed energy or maybe a little bit more of a competitive energy and that you weren't taking care of yourself where he was just like really, uh, focused on keeping doing his nutrition, hydration. Obviously, he's a little bit more experienced than you than you in the mm-hmm. sport, and especially in hundred milers going into this race. Yeah. What were those mistakes that you made in that those yeah. miles with Tyler? What did you learn from that experience of going head to head with each other? You both obviously ran really strong races, but Tyler did just enough in those last twenty to edge you out for second place. What did you learn yeah. from that? Yeah, no, no, and and he is one hundred percent correct um like he was methodical at that point and i think i was methodical until the river and then there was this piece of me where you get to 20 miles and you go or i went oh this is just this is just a long run like i've run a lot of 20 milers hard um and i didn't take into account that i just run 80 miles in 105 degree, <laughs> so, and then a critical um, thing to consider when you're yeah, thinking then, about your pacing. To be honest, Fernando and I just got way too amped. Like we were just having too much fun, um, and so we just I just went too hard. Um, I fully kind of got wrapped up in that in that in that competitive racing energy, um, and I think I also. You, I didn't fully acknowledge 
you know, what it means to run a little bit slower at any point during that race doesn't add time. What adds time is when you hit mile 90 and you're walking for the next three miles because you're, you, you were fully, I was fully like hazy and dazed and like a little loopy at that point. And so, I mean, what I learned was if I was to run this race again, and I think that, you know, it's very easy to always look back and say, this is what I should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, as runners, I think we kind of fixate on that at times and it's really hard to look back and say, Oh, well, I could have made all these mistakes and I would have been, you know, an hour and a half behind where I finished. So that, that said, but, um, yeah, I think I just, I, I did get a little wrapped up in the energy of it. You know, you all of a sudden you're in fifth, um, you can taste second or third cause you're starting to hear what's going on in the race in front of you. And obviously yeah. Jim is like off the front, like he's a different beast. Like there's no, there's yeah. no racing gym at this point, but I think I got wrapped up in that. And I think, yeah. and I think I made mistakes between 80 and 90, um, that, that really allowed Tyler who ran such a smart, such a controlled, such a methodical race, um, to finish in the way that he did where I crossed the finish line, you know, like fully cramped and, holding on for dear life. Yeah. Are you a super competitive person? Um, I think I am. Yeah. I I ask because, you know, obviously I talked to Fernando, your pacer for this section, and it's worthwhile mentioning that you blew up both your pacers, both your pacers got dropped (laughs) Western States, two really good runners. And Fernando has told me just how impressive it was, like how hard you were going with how much you were hurting that late in the race. Do you feel that it was competitiveness that was pushing you at that point? Or was it that you could taste a podium position in your first hundred miler? And where do you get this raw toughness from that allowed you to push through what was such a hard, painful last 20 miles. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's a little bit of imposter syndrome, um, that, that it's, it was probably a combination of imposter syndrome and competitiveness. Um, in this, in this case, um, I think I am a very competitive person. I think typically it's directed at myself and, you know, trying to get the most, uh, uh, the most out of my body and the most out of an experience. Um, but, but I think there was also a little bit of, you know, wanting to, wanting to show the world what I thought was, was possible. And, you know, David before, uh, the race, uh, you know, said something along the lines of like, like dream big and then believe that it can happen. Um, and I think there was part of me that was like, I know I can perform, but I need to be willing to go deeper than I've ever gone to get there. And, um, and I think that's what fueled me. And it was, I mean, I've never been so emotional during a race. I came out of, of forest Hill with, with Patty and was, was just like in tears because because of how like raw it all felt and how 
you have 300 racers and I come into four I'm going to tear up just talking about this, but like my parents are there. Sasha's there. Madeline's there. You know, Sherry and Andrew are there. Like all these people that are there entirely for me. And, and that's powerful. And that's, you know, that's 300 racers yet. There's 1200 volunteers and then yeah. there's thousands of people watching and I am getting teared up. Um, <laughs> but but I think that's what in those final 20 miles I was fully focused on, which is like, I want to show up for these people who are showing up for me. Oh, dude, let's cry. Let's just go ahead and cry. <laughs> this is so great, man. So, wow. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you, you hold on, you finish third place yeah. in your first hundred miler at Western States, the granddaddy of them all world-class championship level, one of the most important races in the world. You cross the finish line wobbling, dude. You could barely put sentences together when we were doing our post-race interview on the track. It was was like (laughs) when they accidentally put a mic in front of a UFC fighter after he's been knocked out. And you and I have talked off air about what really went down in the race. And I think it's important to talk about this. You ran through a pretty scary thing near the end of the race. And then you endured some hard days in the immediate aftermath. Talk about what happened there and yeah. What, what maybe you learned from it and how you're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, when I got to mile 90, um, I, I peed coming out of the aid station after house and I was, I was pretty loopy at that point or starting to feel pretty dizzy. Um, and I peed and it was a concerning cola color, um, which is never a good sign. Um, but then got to the finish line was cramping a ton. Um, those last five miles, um, I think from, from Roby point to the track was like just about the most painful experience of my life. Cause it would be six steps and then full cramps, um, to the point where I would have to walk and came in on the track and gosh, I wish someone had told me that Cody was like 20 minutes back. Cause I would have just walked, <laughs> I would have just walked that baby around the track. But here I was thinking every the type from Roby point, my entire, everyone that was running with me, was looking behind their shoulders. Yeah. And so I just assumed he was like right there. And so, so I felt like I had to run cause I was going to get past in the last second. And then I was also worried that I'm going to collapse on the track and they're going to try to help me up and I'm going to get disqualified. So yeah. the brain was fully not there. It was, yeah. you know, um, but I was able to finish, um, you know, had a, had a tough night, um, woke up, made it to, made it to awards, um, that next day was, was really not able to, you know, keep any fluids down. Um, I think I ate one bowl of ramen, um, that day after. So, you know, you put in 1500 calories after burning probably 30,000. Yeah. Um, we flew back to Boulder, um, that Monday and I was starting to be able to eat and drink more. Um, but I was still kind of out of it. And, um, David Roche, Megan Roche and Sasha and I were all kind of like in touch talking and and we just decided, Hey, you know, let's go get things checked out. Um, and so I went into urgent care 
Um, and you know, the, the worry was potentially, uh, rhabdo, rhabdomyolysis, um, which is where you, you've dumped so much, there's been so much muscle breakdown, um, that you plug your kidneys. Um, and so I ended up in the ER and then ultimately, uh, admitted to the hospital for a couple of days. And it was, um, you know, rhabdo, my CK creatine kinase levels were through the roof, which is, which is not on, you know, there's, there's a study in 2012 coming out of Western States and, you know, people with, with post Western States are like almost always off the charts with CK levels, but, um, it suggests kidney failure. And so there was a lot of, you know, concern and rightfully so. Um, and so I spent a couple of days getting, getting IVs and, um, you know, was, was very lucky that this, the systems all came back and, um, you know, I didn't have kidney failure, which is, you know, incredible. Um, and, but it was a scary, it was a scary experience. Um, and I think it's, you know, it was a kind of combination of probably just how deep I went. Uh, the fact that it was so hot. And even if, I mean, I was able to eat and drink the entire race, which, uh, I was doing, you know, I probably ate 30 or 40 dues and drank a couple of bottles every 30 mi- minutes, but you still, you can't keep up with that. And so, yeah. um, I really paid the price and just feel lucky that I was able to come to the other side of that with, um, you know, everything seems to be in check and I'm starting to spend some more time on the trails again and, and hopeful, hopeful that there wasn't any long-term damage. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I've been through it too. You know, I've, I've had the, the coffee pee, I've put myself in the hospital by going too hard and it's a, it's a strange sport that we do and we can push ourselves too far. And maybe yeah. you did step over that line at Western States, even though a lot of people are patting you on the back and telling you that it was such a great performance, which it was clearly yeah. there's things to learn from it. And, um, are you feeling, are you feeling better now? Um, I am. Yeah. I'm starting to, starting to put some, some, some back-to-back runs together. Um, (laughs) I don't know though, you know, I, I think the systems are pretty effed up still, (laughs) (laughs) um, but, but I'm hopeful. I, 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 done two workouts now where I get to, I can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, yeah. but I, I'm in no rush. You know, I think, oh. I think, you know, there's, there's many examples in our sport of you, you perform at a super high level. Um, and then th- that's exciting. And so you want to get back out there and, and it's not easy to go, you know, or it's, it's easy to go, Oh, I should definitely run CCC. Yeah. Uh, two months after running a hundred miler yeah. and like, because, because this is my moment to shine. Yeah. Um, but trying to keep that as bay as much as I can. And, um, you know, let's, let's talk about, about that the long-term. Let's talk yeah. about that. Cause I think this is an important thing for people listening. Both of us were signed up for CCC. Both of us are not going to be running. <laughs> Talk about Eating croissants and yeah. drinking espresso. Well, but talk, talk about that decision-making because Drew, I think it, it it's more important for you than it is for me at this point in your career, while you're truly on the ascent, making yeah. a name for yourself, 
establishing yourself as one of the best athletes in the sport and likely going to have interesting opportunities coming your way in the future yeah. based on what you've earned, what you've displayed as an athlete and as a human mm -hmm. being having the opportunity to go to Europe and run a race like CCC, where you can continue that positive momentum. Obviously you can feel mm -hmm. a pressure to do that based on yeah. where you are in your career and where you want to be in the future. How did you come to the de determination that that would have been foolish or counterproductive? Yeah. Um, I mean, just, just starting by that, that desire is hard to, you know, shy away from like you know you come off of western states and taking third or just any big performance like that um and and it feels like you need to capitalize on on that opportunity and on that moment um and so it was it's been a really hard decision for me um but ultimately you know i felt incredibly supported by Nike and not rushing, um, Pat Warhane and the team have, have basically just said, Hey, do, do what's right for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, you know, I felt very lucky that there hasn't been undue pressure from a sponsor or, you know, a, a financial component of it that would, would be hard to turn down. Um, but I think it really just comes from, I mean, in many ways, the, the foundation that David has provided to me in this sport and, you know, what I've seen from, from the, the mentors that I've had in the sport, like you, Dylan, um, which is, you know, don't rush. Like, like I, if I dig myself a hole now, I won't be running in five years, but if, if I am smart and if all of us, you know, younger runners can focus on, Hey, you can perform in your mid forties, you can perform, you know, into, I don't know, maybe your are late forties. And so the experiences that will come from, from being able to do this longer, so outweigh any short-term gains that I might be able to capitalize because I just took third. Um, but that's, but that's hard. And I think it's just about having, you know, having the, having your people in, in your corner or my people in my corner and who will be fully supportive and, you know, will love me regardless of whether I choose to go race or not. And I think that's where it also comes down to, you know, it's easy starting to tie yourself to your performance. Um, and, and I'm just trying to like learn from, from all of the incredible mentors I have in the sport of like, Hey, there's, it's your value as a runner, your value as a person in this community is not about that performance. It's about all the things that happen around this sport. Like I want to be uh, one of the old guys in a Hawaiian shirt at Western States someday who are like heckling all of the crews in the crew meeting before. <laughs> um, you know, I like want to be someone where you like run through an aid station and, you know, Matt Daniels goes, Oh, that's, that's Craig Thornley. Like he's a legend. Um, and the only way that you you build those experiences is by staying in the sport and being able to you know continually show up year after year, mm -hmm. um, and and also acknowledge that this sport is not about performance. It's about all of these experiences um, between the finish line and the start of the next race. And I get so much more out of this sport by being able to train and by being able to 
you know, show up for this community than I will for any one day or any one race. And I think I also, you realize like the post race burns off pretty quick and then another race happens mm-hmm. and like the community's talking about something else. And so, <laughs> so like you can't focus too much on that because <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's like a, it's like a, it's a continually moving finish line. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love it. You get it, dude. You get it. You've got a, such a bright future. I can't wait to see just a couple more things before we let you go. Obviously, like this was a, a huge debut for you in 100 mile race. One of your Instagrams, even though you don't post very op- often after the race was something to the effect of, I don't plan to do that again anytime soon. Were you happy with the performance and does it give you a good feeling or because of how deep you went, the fact that you got rhabdo, had to go to the hospital and have been recovering ever since going on a month and a half now, how are you thinking about the race? Is it a, is it a positive memory in your life? Is it something that you do plan to do again? Obviously you're going to have an automatic entry into Western States next year. And do you think, you ran to your potential. I'm sure, you know, it wasn't perfect, obviously, but how are you feeling about your performance? Yeah. Um, I feel incredibly, incredibly good about the, the performance. Um, I think that, you know, it really was a dream come true kind of day. Um, you know, I coming into the race thought, Hey, first 100 miler, it's about getting to the finish line. It's about experience, experiencing what Western States is. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you'll run a smart race and you'll finish, you know, top 10, maybe top five, if you really let yourself dream. But like, there was no real allowing my brain to go there. Mm. Um, and so to finish third, yeah, I mean, I felt incredibly happy with, with how it played out. Um, at the same time, it took, a lot out of me. Um, you know, it was, I went deeper than I think I've definitely ever gone. And the amount of time it's taking to recover, um, I did not expect in, yeah. in a million years. Um, but, but I, I think I'll be back. Um, you know, I've been joking about this, that I felt incredible until my mile 90 and it's pretty true. Um, like I had so much fun that entire race. Um, and then, and then I experienced what a hundred miles is, which is that last 10 miles can feel like 90. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think I'll, I think I'll be back. Um, I unfortunately also think I'm just better at running longer distances, which is like a little bit disappointing. <laughs> Same, dude. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I'm glad to hear yeah. that, man. And yeah, obviously yeah. it takes a little while to season your body to those types of efforts. And yeah. sometimes our strengths, in your case, competitiveness and toughness can put us in scary situations as it has for both yeah. of us. So you'll learn from that. You'll get stronger. And with time, you're, you're going to recover. Let's close with just a very generic question. And that is just what are your, what are your goals for the future in the sport? What excites you? Obviously, like there's, you're just getting started now and there's a million races to do. Is there yeah. anything that uh, really calls to you and something that you have as a goal for your career? Yeah. Um... Interesting. 
So uh, a, a major non-race goal is that I want to be, I want to be, you know, part of a aid station at a notable race someday. I want to like be a race director. I want to give back in some way that isn't just purely running. And so I cannot wait until I get to be, you know, like a, uh, a junior race coordinator next to, you know, Mike foot, Mike foot. This is a, uh, you know, whenever you need <laughs> a, job a, application. a junior race yeah. coordinator, let me know it's a job <laughs> application for the rut. Um, so I'd love to do something like that. Like, you know, to, to be part of, be part of the sport and be part of the community in a way that's not about racing. Um, so that's one big thing. And then, I mean, man, Dylan, there are just so many races that just look so fun um, that I would love to be able to put myself in, you know, in contention to run a good race. And so would love to run hard rock someday. I think we're probably five, six, 10 years away from that. Um, good thing you plan to be to, in the sport for a long time. <laughs> would love to, you know, compete on the international stage. Um, I think that would be a fun kind of next step. Is, That's the next step for you. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is going, going and racing in Europe, going and racing, I don't know, ultra trail, Cape town, Tarawera, you know, some of these big international races that always have just incredibly competitive fields. I love to, to, to put my hat in the ring and, or, you know, put my name in the hat and, and see what happens. Yeah. Well, bro, it's so fun to have you on the podcast. I'm, I'm so glad that you, uh, d you, you were happy to come on and share the story yeah. a little bit, I, you know, to pat myself on the back a little bit on the live stream. I've made a bold prediction early in the race that Drew Holman and Tyler Green were both going to be top five. I reminded people of that all day as you guys ran through the field. Yeah. And then I got to celebrate my, uh, you know, lucky prediction at the finish line. But yeah, I mean, it was so great to see both you guys have such awesome performances, both so well-deserved by great, solid human beings in the sport and who executed an intelligent race. Um, and I think both of you guys just have so much um, to contribute to the sport. And I think you have just an amazing, amazingly bright future in the sport, given your talent and your attitude, both those things are, are so important. So um, it's been great to have a front row seat to your development too, from the earliest days at the San Francisco running company community and some of those Mount Tam summits and long runs uh, there in mm -hmm. Marin County. Um, but dude, yeah, thanks so much. Good luck with the recovery and, uh, all the best, uh, in whatever you got next. Yeah. Thank you, Dylan. And, and thank you for everything you're doing, uh, to give back as well. Um, you're creating an incredible amount of content, uh, <laughs> and really filling a space that I think all of us, uh, addicts, addicts, as I would say, um, have been, have been missing. So thank yeah. you for, for what you're doing too. Appreciate you, bro. There you have it, folks. I freaking loved that episode. I hope you all did too. Drew is such a great guy. 
and is definitely the future of the game, in my opinion, especially here in North America. He is not crazy active on Instagram, but you should go give him a follow anyway. I put a link in the show notes and would encourage you all to go smash the follow button, send him a DM, tell him to post a photo every once in a while, tell him if you enjoyed the show. Uh, Generally, go connect with our man, Mr. Drew Holman. Got a lot more great stuff in the pipeline in the next few weeks. I am so pumped. I'm also officially signed up and have my travel booked for the grand raid of Reunion Island, the Diagonal Defu. So I am back to training myself, feeling great after a big break post hard rock. And man, I just love this shit so much. And I love you all very much too. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.